Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Whether you're joining us online or in person this morning, we are grateful that you've chosen to gather with us for worship as Sojourn Church. Hey, today's Mother's Day, and so we do want to give a special shout out to all of our mothers for all that you do, um, but also just honor women in general. We know that this day is a joyous and a celebratory day for many of you, but this can also be a sensitive day for many of you. If you've lost a loved one, um, if, if you have tried to have children and couldn't have children, there's a variety of reasons why this day isn't one that's a celebration and joyous for everyone. And so we just want to make sure that we um, are sensitive to that while still honoring those uh, women in our lives and just say that we want to honor all of you, um, whoever you are. And then, yeah, special day for our moms. And so um, if your mom, uh, give your mom a call. If you're nearby, give your mom a hug and make sure you honor her and honor all women in your life, not just today, but every day that you can. Um, we have some exciting things as a church coming up, and so I'm, uh, I'm excited that we're getting closer to in-person, starting to be the, the norm, at least I'm hopeful for that, and hopefully by the end of this month, we'll have all the technology in place so we can do a live stream of our gatherings, the pre-recorded thing, although we've done it, I think we've done it okay, it's not my favorite thing in the world, and so hopefully we'll get back to a place where gathering in person is normal and we will do that with wisdom and do that carefully. And then we'll just have a live stream option so that you can just hop on if you're sick one week or you just can't make it, you can just hop on live and join us uh, as we are gathering on Sundays. Hey, just out of curiosity, have you ever gone on a hike specifically with young children and thought to yourself, is it worth it? Is this hike worth the effort that I'm going to put into it? Is this hike actually worth the the difficulty and potentially endangering of my life on certain hikes in order to get to the end of it, to the top of this hill or the top of this mountain. Recently in my boy's spring break, we went on one of these hikes. We went to the gorge and although it wasn't raining the day that we were hiking, it had rained a lot prior to the day that we hiked. And in fact, the hike that we wanted to go on, we got there and it was closed because there was different washout in parts of the hike, which made us have to look for a backup alternative. So we found another hike kind of nearby and we decided, okay, we'll go on this hike. And so we start the hike, but the whole time I'm thinking to myself, is it worth it? Is it worth the difficulty? Is it worth the trial that we're going to endure? Is it worth the complaining of our children in order to get to the end of this hike? And even as we pass by other people who are finishing the hike, you, know, you kind of turn to some of them. Maybe you've been there and you say, is it worth it? Is, or, or should I go ahead and turn around? Now, in the Pacific Northwest, we always hear, yes, it's worth it because we have so many beautiful, so much beautiful landscape here. You know, most of our hikes here have some type of waterfall, or if not a waterfall, they have some kind of um, mountainous, majestic view. And so we almost hear, yes, it is worth it. But then if you're like my family, we find ourselves even being picky. If it doesn't include a waterfall, if it doesn't include a mountainous view, then you kind of go, I don't know if I really want to go on this. It's just like walking through the woods. But man, just thank God for the beauty that we have in the Pacific Northwest. And so as we start this hike, we, we hike along narrow paths. We, we hike apart uh, parts that get really, really small, and there's actually parts where this trail is washed out. Not enough that they close the trail, but where it's really muddy, and you look down, it's just a huge drop-off, and you know that, man, if one of us loses our footing, that we're going to fall down the side of this cliff. And so there was parts where I had to walk each boy across separately. Mom's always a little bit more careful about this, but, you know, hold their hand and walk them across, and then come back and walk the other one across, and come back again and walk the other one across, and 
Even at times where Andre and I had to hold each other's hand to make sure that we both got across safely. There's parts where we came across um, that was just full of boulders. These huge boulders, but your foot could easily get stuck in between two boulders. And once again, you could ultimately slip and the boulder, you slide down the hill or maybe twist your ankle. And so we had to carefully kind of walk over each of these boulders in order to get across the trail safely. Now, what I didn't mention about this hike is there were actually two paths. There was actually a, a higher up path and then there was a lower path. And so the higher one was the one that was more difficult is where the narrow path was. The one down low was easier. It was wider and it, would, it just wouldn't have been as difficult all around. Now, the lower one, with it being easier, you still got to see a stream, but the one that was higher, the more difficult one, the one that we chose to take, you actually, once you got through the, the mudslides and the boulders and the narrow path, you get to this majestic waterfall, one of the, my favorite sceneries, uh, this particular hike in the Pacific Northwest. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's like heaven on earth whenever you get there. It's a great spot just to, Go and maybe hike in Sabbath and just rest and look at God's beautiful creation. And so was it worth it? Absolutely. You know, as we're on our way back and others who are thinking the same thing, is it worth it? And they asked me, I'd say, absolutely, it's worth it. It's going to take you some time. You know, it's going to be tiring and there's going to be parts that's going to be a little bit dangerous. But 100%, it's absolutely worth it for what you get, the reward that you get at the end of the hike. You know, it got me thinking this week that in many ways, life is the exact same way as this hike where we're given two choices as humans, and only two choices. And one choice, it's, it's a difficult path. It's a narrow path, but it leads to a great reward. And then the other one, it's, it's relatively easy. It's kind of what most people choose, but it ends in destruction. And that's what Jesus is actually going to tell us in our, in our text this morning. Jesus is going to give us two ways or two paths, and one leads to life and one leads to destruction. Now, we've been in this series for about six months now. Yes, six months, hard to believe. And we're starting the final section of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the part where the captain comes on the airplane and says, you know, flight attendants, go ahead and get the cabin ready because we're going to be landing this plane soon. Well, we're getting close to landing this plane. We've got just a few more weeks left in the Sermon on the Mount. This morning, we're going to be looking at, um, we start section of verses 13 through 29, although we're only going to look at a couple of those verses. And Jesus is going to give us a warning. I know what Jesus is doing is, He's taught us all of these things over the six-month period, although it probably took Jesus about 20 minutes. And he's now saying it's decision time. And so Jesus, what he's doing is he's coming in and saying, I present you with all these teachings. I have presented you with how it is to practice my ways and how it is to live as one who is um, different than the world, one who's called out as, as salt and light and live in a countercultural way. And so Jesus, now it is time for you to decide, are you with me or are you against me? And so church, that is a decision in front of us this morning. That Jesus is inviting us to say, are you with me or are you against me? And the four warnings that Jesus will give to his disciples who he was instructing, to the crowds who've kind of been listening in, and to the religious leaders are these. He says, you must between, choose between two gates and roads, which is what we're going to look at this morning. And then he's going to come in and say, you must choose between two kinds of prophets, which is what we'll actually look at next week. Then he's going to come in and say, you must choose between two types of disciples. We'll see that the following week. And then our final week in this series, our last week, he's going to give us an option to choose between two foundations. And so the point that Jesus is making, once again, is are you with me or are you against me? And this morning, we're going to look at the first of these four warnings in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. My guess is you're familiar with this passage, with this text. And so go ahead and turn there this morning in your Bible Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. I'll pray for us and we will get started in the text. 
Pray with me, church. God, we come to you this morning. Another beautiful week here in the city of Portland. God, as your people, as your church. God, think about the last six months and this series and these sermons and these teachings and the challenge it has been to live in a different way than the world, to live as ones who are called out, to live in a countercultural manner. God, it hasn't been always easy. In many ways, it's difficult to actually practically live this out. But as we look at this text this morning, God, as you are presenting us with a choice, one of two choices, there's not even a third way. God, I ask for those who aren't Christians who are joining us this morning, that they will feel welcome at Sojourn Church, but God, that they would also be invited to make this decision this morning. God, for those of us who have made this decision, that we would be reminded that it was made in and through your life and through your sacrifice. God, we ask your Holy Spirit to be present. We ask that your word would not return void. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, church. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Matthew chapter seven. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now there's a lot to consider in this text, but there's a simplicity that we see in Jesus teaching to us. And what he's doing, he's taking every single teaching in the world and he's boiling down to these two paths. And he says, these two paths relate to the kingdom of God, which is what the entire Sermon on the Mount has really been about. Now, before we just read it and move on, I want us to really think through the weight of the statement that Jesus is making to us here. In a really very real way, Jesus is forcing a decision upon us. And so Jesus isn't simplifying his teaching so that he can be dismissive or passive. Jesus is simplifying his teaching out of an expertise because Jesus, unlike us, Jesus sees the whole picture. Jesus sees the beginning and the end and the middle, all of it. And so Jesus is saying, I see the whole thing. Trust me. Remember just a couple weeks ago that, that God does good things and, and does what's best for his children. So Jesus is saying, look, I see the whole picture. You've been presented with the teaching. You're presented with the opportunity. So here it is. It's now time to take a decision. And Jesus is able to make sense out of what might be confusing for us. Now, people will commonly object to the teaching of Jesus because it may be one of the most difficult teachings that he's given us. This might be one of the most difficult ones for us to stomach. I mean, our human minds, when we read these two verses, we think the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Our thinking goes something like this. Jesus, come on, we ate an apple, and now you're telling us that that potentially leads to total destruction? I mean, come on, Jesus, that doesn't really seem fair. But I want you to hear this. Just because something isn't clear in our minds doesn't mean it's not clear. That's actually a form of arrogance. We say, man, that, that, that just doesn't make sense. And trust me, God can handle that. God can handle our question. But just because it's not clear to you doesn't mean that it's not clear. And so where in our finite human minds, we can't see the full picture, Jesus can. And this is where the trust comes in that Jesus is saying, look, I can see the whole picture. And so you're going to have to choose between life and destruction. Let's look at these verses again. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. What is immediately striking to me in these verses is the absolute nature of a choice before us. Jesus insists that ultimately there's only one choice. But there are two possibilities to choose from. There are two ways that he presents us with. 
There are two gates that lead to these ways. These ways lead to two destinations, and we find that there are two crowds following these ways. And so I want us to break down each of those and just kind of look at them briefly. First, there are two ways. Jesus is describing life with God, and Jesus is describing life without God, and he describes them as these two different paths that people choose from. This idea is found earlier, actually, in the Old Testament, in Psalm 1, which contrasts the way of the righteous, those who delight in God's law, they bear fruit and they prosper, and they correspond that, or contrast that, rather, with the way of the wicked, those who are driven out like chaff before the wind and perish. And what Jesus is doing, he's elaborating on the picture that we find in Psalm 1. He says, one way is easy. That's a broad path. It's spacious. It's roomy. It's wide. This sounds like the path of COVID. I'm not making a political judgment call on COVID. I'm just saying the wide path, spacious, roomy. It sounds perfect for COVID life. But this is the path of diverse opinions and lax morals. This is the path of tolerance and permissiveness of sins. This is the path that has no boundaries. You do you. I do me. Do whatever the heck you want. Those on this path follow their own inclinations and desires. They follow their own feelings. This is the path that's described with as self-love and hypocrisy and false ambition and selfishness. So this is the wide path. The other path is hard. It's narrow. This one has clearly marked boundaries from divine revelation. This is a path that's restricted by what God has revealed in Scripture to be true and good. Yet in another way, Christ's hard and narrow way is also to be viewed as his easy yoke and a light burden. So those are the two paths. The, the hard and narrow path and the broad and wide easy path. Second, we see there are two gates. This is one gate is easy and wide open. This is the gate that leads to the way of the world. There's no limit on baggage. Bring it all. There's no need to leave anything behind. Bring your sin. Bring your self-righteousness. Bring your pride. And so on and so forth. And they said the other gate is hard. The other gate is narrow. This gate is smaller, which means you're actually going to have to look for it in order to, to find it. It's easy to miss. And this, this gate, once it opens, it's a narrow path, so it's kind of down a beaten path, which means there's going to be difficulty along the way that you wouldn't experience on the easy path. And the gate is narrow because it requires a person to ultimately turn from their sin and turn to follow Jesus and turn to do the will of God as taught by Jesus. In essence, the narrow gate is following Jesus. The narrow gate is Jesus and learning to follow his ways. And at this gate, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And that's the invitation to us this morning. Third, we see there are two destinations. The destination of the easy path and the wide gate that leads ultimately to destruction. Although Jesus doesn't really define it here for us specifically, many assume or presume that he meant hell. But either way, whether he meant that or not, it is clear the way of the self ends in ultimate destruction. And so if you think about something that ends in ultimate destruction, I mean, hell does sound like ultimate destruction, whatever ultimate destruction would be for you. And then the other destination, it's, it's a hard path, it's a narrow gate, but it leads to life. And so it's twofold. It's both here and now, but it, eventually it's eternal life where we get to spend eternity with our creator. The destination of life is defined by fellowship with God and where we'll share in his glory and we'll find Perfect fulfillment as humans in selfless service to God and others. And so just to be clear, Jesus is coming to us. It's Jesus' word, not Matt's word, but Jesus' word. And he's saying there's two paths. And one path leads to ultimate life and fulfillment in the way that, that I created you to be. And the other path leads to ultimate destruction, uh, life apart from me. And there is no third way. It is one way or the other. You know, our, our world, broadly speaking, likes to create multiple paths. 
And you've all even heard that, man. There's just multiple ways to God. But Jesus comes and says, no, that's just not simply not true. There's two choices. There's not a third way. There's not multiple ways. There's two choices presented to every single human. And you must choose. Do you want life or do you want destruction? That's it. There is no third way. And fourth, we see there are two crowds. First, we see the crowd of the many. These are the ones who enter the wide gate, who enter the easy gate. This path is busy. It's full of people. This is the in crowd. There's always, there, there seems like there's some kind of, of party of just, man, we're just living recklessly and doing whatever it is that we want to do. And this is where we find multitudes of people who are carefree about how they're living life and really don't care about those around them either because it's all about just how they want to do them. And then second, we see the crowd of the few. These are the ones who enter the narrow gate. They're traveling this difficult path. And ultimately, this path leads to life. But along the way, the path appears to be deserted. There's, there's times where you look around and you're like, is there anyone else on this path? Seems like I'm here all alone. Few will find it, and it apparently will be a minority movement. This is on this path, we find this small band of misfits, which sounds, you know, really an accurate description of the, the first followers of Jesus when he followed, called his first disciples to come and follow him. You probably heard it described as a ragtag group of misfits. And that is the group that we see following Jesus on this narrow path and following his ways, which are contrary and counterculture to the world around them. Now, I want to give us a word of caution because it's easy to come in and um, assume things, presume things about this passage. And some of these things just simply aren't there. Some of them might be. And so I want to give a word of caution that we don't put ourselves in the position of God when we read these verses and determine how few or how many people enter the kingdom of God simply because we must always interpret scripture first with other scripture. In other words, God has given us word, and so we want to interpret God's word with God's word, not with our word. And so just one chapter later, Matthew 8, verse 11, says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Revelation 7, 9, such a beautiful picture. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. You see a great multitude that no one could number around the throne of Jesus. And so interpreting scripture with scripture should not give us reason to say, okay, there's only gonna be a few and that we define what that number is. It says there's gonna be a great multitude that no one could number around the throne in heaven. John Stott in his helpful commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most helpful commentary on the entire section of the Sermon on the Mount. He, is, he helps out by pointing out that this passage doesn't make it clear as it relates to the perplexing problem of those who have never heard the gospel. So hopefully you know by now, but Sojourn, we're all about our third value is mission, both locally and globally. And so think about our global partners and uh, places like South Asia, where there's unengaged, unreached people groups who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Stott's helpful to point out here, this doesn't really talk about that group of people. And so when you read a passage like this, it's easy to say, wait a minute, Jesus, hold up. I'm going to raise my hand. i got a question. What about those who've never heard? Well, I don't think that this passage is really referring to that group. And here's why. We see that there's a, a word that's common to both, the few and the many, who take either one of these paths, and it's the verb enter. And so it is because the many enter by the wide gate that Jesus is saying that neither crowd is ignorant of the issues. In other words, it appears that the people he's talking to here have had an opportunity, have had a choice to choose between the wide gate and the narrow gate, and they deliberately entered one or the other. And so the whole picture appears to relate only to those who have had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take an informed decision. And so this morning, if you say, man, I've never heard this message. 
Well, today is your day. Today is your day that you have a chance to make an informed decision on entering the narrow gate or entering the wide gate. Even Jesus' disciples came to him and asked him in Luke's gospel, they said, will those who are saved be few? But Jesus declined to answer, and he declined to satisfy the curiosity. Instead, here's how Jesus responded, strive to enter by the narrow gate, by the narrow door. And so according to Jesus, what we do see is clear. There are only two ways. There's a hard or easy way. There is no middle way. There's a broad or narrow path. There is no other way. There's a large or small crowd. There is no neutral crowd. And there's either ends in structure or ends in life. There is no third alternative. And so for every single person, every single man, woman, and child, there's two ultimate ending points here. And the ending point of life is either in life or in destruction. Now, we are the generation who doesn't like to make a decision. We are the generation who is afraid to commit. We have FOMO. We have fear of missing out. And so what we'd like to do, and I'm guilty of it as well, is we kind of like to, you know, we, we like to get our calendars open. So we'll, instead of like writing something in the pen, we'll kind of pencil it in. And someone say, hey, let's get coffee or let's get a meal or, hey, I've got this event coming. I want you to come to it. And we'll say like, maybe. I'll think about it. Uh, I'll probably be there, but I'm not sure. You know, what we're doing is we're halfway committing and partially committing, which really is no commitment at all. We, we just don't want to ultimately commit because we think, man, this sounds like a really good thing to do on a Friday night. But if somebody else gives me something better to do, it'll kind of give me that way to get out of it. And so we all like to keep our options open. And we all hate being forced to make a choice. And we have stress and anxiety about making the wrong decision. Believe me, I've had that, especially since college. I've had that over the years where I think, man, this, this job could lead me this way or this way or this ministry opportunity could lead me this way or this way or even moving here to Portland. It's like, man, am I making the wrong decision? I thought we were going to Denver. And what happens to North Carolina where I grew up and all of those things? And so we all kind of have this, this fear of like, man, we have to actually make a choice. But here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus will not allow us to escape making a choice. And he presents us with making a decision. He says, one way or the other, I presented this to you. Are you in? Are you with me? Are you out? Now, a pastor, a guy named Tyler David, he helped me make this connection between this passage and really what we see all throughout Scripture, that the two, choice, two choices presented to us by Jesus here are the same two choices that Jesus has always presented to us. If you look at Genesis, you don't have to turn there, but you just listen, maybe jot it down. Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, but verses 1 through 5, when the temptation came from the serpent, listen to the words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, should, well, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so Satan comes in and what is he doing with his temptation? He is essentially saying, how serious is God about these things that he is saying? How serious is God about the things that he has told you leading up to chapter three? Well, let's look at a short sampling. Genesis two, just a chapter before, verses 16 and 17. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. So we see right here in the garden, in the beginning, when everything was created, God created the heavens and the earth, and God created man and woman. They were given two options. The options were life, and the options were death. And ultimately, when they sinned, they chose death and the path of destruction. Deuteronomy 30, 
19. So we get a, you know, a few books later in the Old Testament. Moses says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. So here we have the options of life in the form of blessing and the options of death in the form of a curse. And a little bit further later, prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 21.8 says, And to this people you shall say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of the life and the way of death. So here it is again. The options were life and the options were death. And then we get to the New Testament. And then we get here where Jesus comes in. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, it's towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gives two options. He says, you, one option leads to life and one option leads to death. But you see, it's been that way throughout the entire story. You know, the Bible, you've heard this before, but it's one big story. Some call this the meta-narrative of Scripture, the overarching theme of Scripture from the first page to the last page. That's all one story. And we see that from the beginning, the options that Jesus presented were, were the same. They were life or they were death. And over and over again, we see the people uh, throughout Scripture choose death. And then Jesus comes here in the New Testament and Jesus offers us life because God wants to provide a way to reconcile us, to rescue us from the path of destruction that we all chose for ourselves. And as you see a small sampling of scripture, it shows us that these are the promises that he has always declared to us. Now, I think most of the people outside of Christian faith, they tend to focus on the restrictiveness of Christianity. And then once you are in Christ, you tend to focus on the narrowness by which we feel God has called us to live by and the rules and the do's and the don'ts. But the thing is, we, we, sometimes we might say, man, Christianity is too narrow for me. It's too restrictive. You know, I, I want to live the way of the world. I want to live this way and just kind of attach it to Christianity. You might hear that, but here's the reality. We will choose the narrow path when we believe that there's a reward attached to it that's worth it. And if there's a judgment that's attached to it, that's not worth it. This is the whole premise behind diets, right? When, why do you diet? Some people say, yeah, they diet to eat healthier. Most people diet because they want to look a different way. And people say, man, it is worth the reward of eating this way or maybe not eating this way and not eating certain foods in order to get that body. Or it's worth getting up and going to the gym four or five days a week. It's worth doing CrossFit and beating my body literally so that I can look like that. And that's the reward that you want. Or maybe you'll study and give up hanging out with your friends and having a good time because you'll say the reward of the good grade or the reward of passing this class to get to the next level is worth it. Or you'll do whatever it takes to sacrifice in your career so you can climb the ladder and make more money and have a more comfortable life for yourself. I mean, think about nurses and doctors, all the stuff that they have to go through you know, prior to actually becoming a nurse or actually becoming a doctor. If you want to get better at your hobby or craft, what do you do? You'll give up other things, even good things, things that you love in order to improve and get better at it. So I don't think the problem is actually the narrowness of Christianity. I don't think the problem is actually the narrowness of how Jesus teaches these, these things because we will do whatever it takes in every other area, every other arena of life, if the reward we believe is worth it. And what Jesus is saying is the reward is worth it. Practicing my ways and living out my ways, is it is totally worth the reward that you will receive. But how can we know that Jesus is right? How can we know that Jesus is right when he refers to life and to death? Well, one, we can look at scripture and study scripture, but ultimately we can know that Jesus is right by looking at the life of Jesus. Jesus is so radically different from any teacher that came before him or after him. Jesus doesn't give people the option to be indifferent towards him. Think about Jesus. People fear him. People oppose him. People mock him. People beat him. 
people crucify him and the people adore him and people worship him. There's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. Our world will try to convince you that there is. So, you know, I'm not saying it to be argumentative. We just went through the reason for God. But when someone says, well, I'm fine with Jesus. He's a good teacher. I'm fine with Jesus. He's good a prophet. I think you can do it in a loving place. Say, actually, Jesus doesn't give us that option. They'll probably look at you kind of confused and say, but Jesus actually said we had to choose. Like he's either Lord or he's not. He's either the Messiah or he's not. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. Jesus wasn't just whatever it is that you want to attach to him to feel comfortable that you accept him. Jesus wasn't just your homeboy. Jesus, I am the Messiah and you have to choose to believe and follow me in that way or you choose to reject me entirely. If you choose to follow me this way, you're choosing life. If you choose to reject me, then you're choosing death and destruction. There is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. And then we can also know that Jesus is right by looking at the death of Jesus. Because his death, what does it teach us? The death of Jesus teaches us that God will not let sin go unpunished. Jesus' death on the cross is central to the work of Jesus. That's why you can't remove it. You know, there's, there's kind of a growing movement and a, a popular movement of progressives who want to remove the cross of Jesus, who want to remove the death of Jesus' work. It's central to what he did. It's central to why he came. And Jesus', Jesus sin teaches us that no matter how perfect his life was, that death was still needed in order to pay for sin. And his perfection alone couldn't save us because if it could, then he would. He would have not gone to the cross. He would have done it another way because he was perfect. But his perfection made him the only valuable and the only able being who could pay for our sin. There was no one else. There was no other way. And Jesus chose in his love to go to the cross on your behalf, my behalf, and the behalf of the world, which allows, which shows us that none of us not one of us could escape the judgment of God. But because of Jesus, we are able to now choose life. Because of Jesus, life has been offered to us. Because of Jesus, he's inviting you this morning to choose life. Because apart from Jesus, the only other way, the only other option is death and destruction. And so Jesus is serious here. When he comes in, he's talking about the broad path leading to destruction. But what is amazing is that Jesus is calling us to respond to something he's already provided in himself. So this isn't something you have to go out and do. This isn't something you have to, there's not going to be a list of 10 things to go and do this week in order to receive life. You're on the path to destruction. We've all chosen that path. We're born choosing that path ever since the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. But there's only one other way, and Jesus has already provided that way in himself and says, choose life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see that Jesus here became obedient to the point of death so that we would have another option, the only other option, life. And when Jesus says life, he means life. And really this is the only command that we see in this passage. The command in verses 13 and 14 is choose life. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus then the Bible is clear that you are on a path to destruction. You're on a path that leads to nowhere good and ultimately ends in death. But listen up, I want you to hear this. It doesn't have to be that way. 
Jesus is not shaming you this morning. Jesus loves you and he's inviting you to choose life. Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly as John 10, 10 tells us. Jesus invites you to come to him and he will give you rest as Matthew eleven twenty seven and 28 tells us. Now you might be thinking, I've tried this before. I tried it and it didn't work. Well, that's like eating one salad and expecting that you would lose a bunch of weight. And going, well, I ate a salad. I didn't lose the 50 pounds I wanted to lose. I guess eating salads and healthier doesn't work. No, that's ridiculous. And so you can't just try something on a whim. You can't just say, well, I tried it one time. I read a verse. You know, I attended church a couple times. So some of you might be on the fence about Christianity this morning. Some of you might be on the fence and you keep asking God for one more sign. But let me invite you this morning. Be free from that. Let me invite you to be free from that burden by choosing life because that is the invitation in front of you from Jesus. Jesus saying, come to me and choose life. Now, Christian in the room, those of you who, who are in Christ, who are, are already on that journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus as we talk about a sojourn, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out? Jesus also invites you by saying, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And just because every moment on the narrow path doesn't feel like eternal life, it doesn't mean it's not leading you to eternal life. Let me say that again. Just because every moment on the narrow path doesn't feel like eternal life, it doesn't mean that it's not leading you ultimately to eternal life. And so Jesus is inviting you too to, to be reminded by walking with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Jesus is inviting us to learn the unforced rhythms of grace Jesus says, I won't lay anything too heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep coming with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And so if you're not in Christ, we invite you to choose life this morning. If you are in Christ and you've already chosen life, we invite you to be reminded of that again this morning. Theologian Scott McKnight wraps up this, this section and says, the options are life and destruction. This is not the place to debate the nature of hell, but instead to observe that our one life now determines whether our end will be life. And here we are to see the new heavens and the new earth, often depicted as an endless banquet of joy, peace, justice, and love or destruction. And here one would think of eternal separation from God that comes to an end. And so church, this morning, regardless who you are, regardless your background, I invite you as Jesus is inviting you to choose life. If that's something that you would like to do this morning for the first time, just write LIFE in all caps, in the, in the messenger. And we'll make sure that we respond to you, that we'll follow up with you, and that we'll give you actions in order to respond to life. Church, I love you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Let me pray for us, and we'll finish this part of our service this morning. God, we come to you, and we thank you for providing life for us. God, I think about these two options that Jesus is giving us, and the reality is that we chose the first one from the beginning. In Genesis 3, when the fall happened, ever since then, God, we've all already started out and chosen the life of death and destruction. But God, in your grace and your kindness and your mercy, you came in and you offered us a way to life, a way that you didn't have to do. And so God, in some ways, when we look at these two choices, it's not that we're being faced with, with, with two choices at the same time. We've already chosen the one that leads to death and destruction. But God, you've come and said, you don't have to go there. But there's another way and the other way is to come and follow me and I will give you life and give it to you abundantly. So God, we pray for this morning for people who are tuning in from around the country who maybe don't know you. God, that this morning they would choose life. God, regardless of their background, regardless if they feel like they're coming with baggage or no baggage or whatever's going on in their life. God, this morning they would choose you and choose life. 
God, for those of us who are in Christ, that we would be reminded it's nothing that we did, God, but it was your invitation to us and your work that invited us into that. And God, maybe we found ourselves tired, maybe we found ourselves worn out, maybe we even found ourselves in a season of questioning things. God, that we would be reminded again that you've invited us into life with you and God, that we can rest in your grace and mercy for us. It's in your name, by your power and your grace, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, church. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.